Bible with pages. You get a lazy boy when you get to heaven. I don't know if that's true, but I read it online. Also, it may have a charging port for your cell phone on it. But if you got it, open up Matthew chapter 6. That's where we will be. Pick up what we left off last week. We'll be verses 7, 8, and 9 tonight. I will tell you what words to underline. I'll tell you what words um, you may want to highlight and why they are important when we get to them. But if you are just feeling it in the spirit, like you need to underline or highlight some words on your own without me prompting you, that's perfectly fine. Hey, will you turn off the reverb and the delay? Thank you. Uh, or either just the game. One of the three. But um, raise your hand if you happen to have a crazy dad. I have a crazy father. You've heard some Big Lynn stories. I'll tell you one more tonight. I don't know if I've mentioned this one before. I have a sister. We are not the same age. She's actually four years younger than me. She had kids before me. She was married before me. Um, she is probably taller than me, which I'm a little bit jealous of, but she was really mean. Growing up, she was mean. She was four years younger, but she tried to rough me up a lot. Actually, why I started lifting weights was to beat up my sister. Um, and I remember this one time she made me really mad. I was out shooting ball, dominating, like I was the next Michael Jordan. And if it were not for my sister, I may have been. She always would come out there and like get rebounds and like just Go throw the ball over the fence like an idiot. Um, and I remember I got mad one time, and I just walked off because I was like, hey, you should not hit a girl, so I'm going to walk off. After I got about from, you guys know where my office is? She was about at my office door. I was about right here. It felt about, she may have been at the pond, actually, and I was right here. And I saw a red clot of dirt laying on the ground. So... I pick it up, and I say, I'm probably not going to hit her, but if I do, I was meant to hit her from here. So I gave the best crow hop that I could muster. Some of you know what that is. Some of you don't, and I let it go, and you know, like, sometimes when you will let one, you just feel it, like it is right, and I let it go, and it is sailing, and I'm like, this is going to hit her, and she's just yelling obscenities at me probably. And she goes to, and she had turned around. She turned back around to look at me about when she did the dirt clot hit her like right here. And like, it didn't just hit her and like fall off. Like she fell over. I thought her head was off of her body because it traveled so far. Um, and uh, about that, but see, the thing that happened was Big Glenn, it was, my basketball goal was out next to his shop. He was out there just working on something, probably like a new belt to hit me with. And I see him come around the corner, and he looked down at my sister on the ground, and she had like this red mud going down her face, probably some blood too, if I'm being honest. And he looked up at me, and I did the only sensible thing that a young man could do. I took off running. I was just, because I know he can't catch me. I cannot beat him up, but he cannot catch me. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Jackson 5 documentary, but there is a scene in the movie where Michael runs and slides and hides up under the bed so Joe will not beat him. Joe is his dad. I did that very same thing in my room. I had blue carpet. It was awesome. And I, climbed, and I had junk under my bed, so I was like throwing it out because I know that Big Glenn cannot get under the bed. I did not think that he could just throw the bed out like this against the wall and snatch me out. So I crawled all the way to the other end of my bed under it, which was up against the wall, and I refused to come out. 
I stayed under my bed for about probably like six hours until I was sure he was asleep. It is dusty under the bed, by the way, no matter how many times your mom cleans your house. Um, but there's a lot of Big Glenn. I love Big Glenn, um, but uh, some of you guys have heard the story of when he played basketball with me in the ground with his belt that time I got in trouble for disrespecting my mother. You've heard the story of uh, when I thought he was out of town and I was supposed to be home and he pulled up at the same gas station I was at at 2.30 in the morning one time when I was 15. Um, not supposed to be out in a vehicle at that time, pumping gas at 2.30, and I heard my dad say, what are you doing? I could not run at that point. There was no bed close enough to hide under. But, you know, when I say, like, dad or father, all of us have different emotions depending on the kind of relationship that we had with our dad. Um, it all is going to hit us in different ways. No matter the relationship we have, no matter how long they may have been or have not been in our life, when I say the word dad or father, we all get some kind of feeling, even though none of us are going to share the exact same feeling. Um, but tonight, we're going, to read in, we're going to read this text and see that God offers us sonship. He offers us the opportunity to be sons and daughters and to approach him and call him father, not only just but a very loving father. And we're going to look at some things that he offers us. You should be to Matthew chapter 6 by now. I have stalled as long as I can. I could tell no more Big Glenn stories tonight, but there are plenty. Here we go. And when you pray, we're going to do a little recap of last week with the first couple of verses. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. They think that, oh, I just read that. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus approached him and he says, hey, do not be like a hypocrite in this. Do not be like a hypocrite in this. Do not be like a hypocrite in this. We looked in three different areas, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And we know that that word in the Greek, in their culture, Jesus was saying, hey, do not be an actor. Do not fake this Christian life. I did not come and take the cross for you for you to just fake it. I came for you to have a genuine faith that not only changes your life, but it changes the life of the people around you because they see how you live life differently now that you have faith in me. So now we are moving past that, and Jesus is showing the people who are gathered here how to pray. People, it's not like this is the first prayer ever. People have been praying for thousands and thousands of years. But Jesus now on the scene is showing, hey, there's a totally different way to pray that you have not yet known. And that's where we're starting tonight. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, thank you for how you love us. God, let your word be alive to us now. Holy Spirit, speak to us so that we hear your voice clearly through all the chaos of life. Jesus, we exalt your name. We are totally dependent on you, God. I pray that you will fix eyes on you. God, that you will remove distractions yourself. And God, that you will save the lost in the room tonight. God, what you want to give, we receive. And we receive what you want to give in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're not going to cover all of verse 9. We are pretty much going to cover the first part of the prayer when Jesus says, Our Father. I'm going to have to take this off again. It is going to cause chaos just like last week. Oh, man. 
That was better than last week. Anyway, <clears throat> our Father, this is huge, this is revolutionary. My friend Noah's here in the back. Hadn't seen Noah since he was in eighth grade. About that time. His voice wasn't that deep last time. Mine was this deep. Um, but our Father, this is revolutionary. Because in 39 chapters of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, you will never see God referred to as Father in a personal sense. He is referred to as Father in the Old Testament 14 times, but it's never personal. It is always to the nation of Israel. So when Jesus says, hey, when you're going to pray, pray like this, say, Our Father. In the New Testament, in the gospel alone, the gospels alone, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God is referred to intimately in a personal way as Father 60 times. The reason for this is Jesus saying, as God is not, God is, God is moved into, remember we, when we were in John, we uh, looked and saw that it said that God moved into our neighborhood when he became flesh through Jesus Christ. So God is not distant for us anymore. He has this personal relationship with us that he offers us through Jesus. But God is never changing. So how is it that he seemingly moved from only being a creator to our father? If you've been coming here for several months, you have heard me say multiple times that until you have been saved, until that moment of justification where you believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did what he said he came to do and he's continuing to work through history now and you put your faith in him and he saves you, until that moment, God is only your creator. But when you become saved, when you trust in Jesus, he now moves into the role of father because we are adopted because of Jesus. I'll show you in two, and uh, we'll look at three different verses, but in two parts of scripture. John 1:12, which we covered just before Christmas. But to all who did receive him, the hymn is Jesus, who believed in his name. You can highlight or underline the word believe because people think that salvation is a very difficult thing. It's like an incantation. Everybody who, everybody who I've ever talked to through, through the salvation experience, they want me to tell them what they need to say to God. But see, that's the beautiful thing about prayer. That's what God is going to teach us through this prayer over the next several weeks. God is not looking for this well-formulated sentence from you. He already knows what you need, what we just saw in these verses. He wants to hear what your heart has to say. He wants you to finally articulate what, with your mouth what you already feel in your heart. That is what belief does. It says he gave the right to become children of God. So if you believe in the name of Jesus and receive him, you have the right to become a child of God. And then in Romans 8, 15 and 16, it says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is the same thing that Jesus, the same word that Jesus is using at the beginning of the prayer. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Guys, what this, what this scripture is saying is that if you're saved, you are going to know that you are because God's spirit is not going to allow you to constantly live a life of doubt. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. As a believer, there, there could come a season for some reason in your life where you could doubt for a season. 
But it is never prolonged. It is never the dominant season in your life because God never saves you for you to live a life of doubt. But a moment of doubt is completely different. But God, we know that in, his, it just, in these verses that we read, his spirit will remind us, he will, God will scream through the chaos of doubt, no, you are mine. I am your father, you are my child, and he will give you peace. Cool story with Ty about that. Ty can tell it to you later. But what I want to look at tonight is three things that God offers to us by being our father. Next week, we will, we will look at our response as children, what our response is back to God. But tonight, I want to look at three things. It's not the only three things God offers us, but I believe that it's three things that us collectively as this group need to dive into together. Um, I was telling the street team in the back, that's your adults who will be with you in breakout groups, that this preparing for this message hit me in a way that it would never have before because I was not a father at this time last year. Well, I couldn't hold her, put it that way. But it's completely different now because I am a dad. Like, I, like there was something happened. A buddy of mine said, dude, when you go into the delivery room, you're going to be a different dude when you walk out. And he was true. I mean, he was telling the truth. I suddenly felt like I was like Rambo and not just like a short, skinny dude anymore. But however, when I got to a mirror, I was still a short, skinny dude. Um, but there's three things that a father will offer. And the first one that we are going to look at is he, he offers to protect us. Father, God, our father, protects us. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, why do bad things happen then? Like car wrecks, Hurricane Katrina. Popeye's running out of chicken. Why do these things happen? We're going to get to that in just a minute. But God protects us from things in our life, things that we can see, things that we cannot see, because there is a spiritual war going around us at all times. Angels are real. Demons are real. The devil is real. God is real. Just because we cannot physically see them do not mean, does not mean that they are not actively active around us at all time waging war. But God is protecting us from those things and other things. Let's look at Romans 8.31, then we'll look at 8.38. Thank you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is kind of like when I was uh, younger, I had a friend who was the biggest kid in school. It looked kind of awkward because as you were thinking, I was the smallest, except for the kid who was like 10 grades under me, and that would be kindergarten. Um, so I always, you can put that back up. I always felt safe. Because I knew no one, even if somebody wanted to beat me up on the playground, my friend was massive. And they were only going to hit me like once before he would throw them over the fence into oncoming traffic. He's still really big. And I'm still really small. But this is the same thing for us. But it's, it's increased because there is nothing that can stand against us if God is for us. There is no circumstance in your life. And listen, there is no sin that you have committed that can stand between you and God because he, if, if he is for you, there is no accusation that can make him stand against you. Romans, uh, in that same chapter, verse 38, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers. Is that it? Don't worry. I have a Bible with pages too. 
I needed to get bigger writing. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is constantly protecting us. Who remembers being young, like little, little? When we think our dads can do anything, like I love the movie Rambo. I watched all four of them two weeks ago. The fifth one's coming out in theaters right soon. Sylvester Stallone is 72 years old, but Rambo is still the man. But when I was little, I thought my dad could still beat up Rambo. I thought he's the strongest dude in the world. As you know, I've confessed to you before, I'm afraid of the dark. Still am, 31 years later. And when I was little, your boy, not going in the dark, because tigers and bears can be in the dark. And they can grab you. They can. But I remember, with, I remember walking with my dad like back and forth from his shop to the house. And I would want to get as close to him as I could and hold his hand. Because I felt it did not matter what bear was in the darkness. It did not matter what tiger was waiting in the darkness. I was safe the closer I was with my dad. On my, Monday night, I was watching the national championship at my brother-in-law's house, who is a die-hard Crimson Tide fan. And I had been talking smack for weeks. Um, and he has a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and he made them go get in bed at halftime. I thought it was because he was about to start cussing and he didn't want them to hear. But apparently they have a bed t- bedtime. But the only problem with that is, no matter how loud we turned off the, pro- the volume on the game, this is all I heard. And that was the three-year-old. After 45 minutes of that, the six-year-old. Daddy? 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 So this was all I heard for like an hour. Daddy! 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 Like, it's just constantly going back and forth. I'm like, what, what, what's going on? He's like, man, they're afraid that a wolf is going to come. I said, how irrational is that? If you're going to be afraid of anything, be afraid of a bear or a tiger. <laughs> and so that is what I heard the whole second half of the game. That and the, the tear, but it covered up the crying of my brother-in-law as the crimson tide was getting beat. But I, under, I could relate to them because when he would walk in the room, they would be quiet. And it, some of us, because he was saying, be quiet, I'm trying to watch this game. But they were confident that no matter what wolf I don't know what they're watching on YouTube, but what, what wolf would come in their house could not overtake their dad. Their dad could beat up any wolf, which is crazy. But I, I have this niece. You've heard me tell stories of my niece before. We lived together the first three years of her life. Um, and she thought, I'm looking forward to the days that my baby bear thinks that I'm the strongest man in the world. And I'm going to allow her to believe that until she's like 18. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Right now, I'm just the dude who, like, watches games with her and gives her a bottle. But my niece, she thought I was that guy because we lived together. And, I mean, I was a young dude. I was at home. I would, when I would, I'd be working, then I would come home, and me and her would just hang out. She would help me pack my gym bag every night. But she would tell people that I was the strongest person in the world. Did I, t- did I tell her to tell people that? No. Did I tell her that in private? Yes, I did. 
But uh, she was confident in me. And I remember one time we were at the mall, me and her. We were doing like, not a daddy-daughter thing, but like an uncle-niece thing. It, that just doesn't sound as cool. And uh, we, we had, I had bought her a cookie at uh, Classic Cookie. And we had walked back out to, we were walking back out of the vehicle and loud noises would scare her. And there was an 18-wheeler driving through the parking lot. Why was there an 18-wheeler driving through the parking lot of the mall? Not sure, but there was. And uh, he was gearing that thing up and it was so loud. And she started like screaming and like ran up and grabbed my leg. As Obviously, she was very short at this time because I'm short and she grabbed me by the leg right here. And I was like, are you scared? Uh-uh. Are you sure? Because you just ran across the parking lot going, ah, and you, you're still hanging on to my leg. And she goes, I ain't, I'm not scared. I was like, really? She goes, no. Nah. I was like, why not? She goes, because you would not let that 18-wheeler get me. I was like, how? She goes, you'd stand in front of it and stop it. And I was like, <laughs> that is true. I'm not going to go do it right now, but that is true. I said, what makes you think I would go do that for you? She goes, because you love me. Which is very true. I do love her. But see, we have to approach God with this same kind of wonder, knowing that no matter what, kind of, what circumstance could happen in our life, that no matter what it is, that he can stop us. And the, only re- and the way that we know that is simply because he loves us. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because we have like this imaginary bank account of good things we've accomplished in our life. God will do these things for us simply because he loves us. He did not send Jesus for us so that we could be good people. He sent Jesus for us so that he could save us because he loves us. So God protects us. That is the first point. Number two, not only does God protect us, he prepares us. This is the role of a father. We are supposed to protect our household, but we're also supposed to prepare our children. I remember uh, while Mo was pregnant, I was, I was praying to God. I said, God, what is my prayer for this baby going to be? What is my prayer for this baby going to be? And I remember a couple of days before we went to the hospital, God put the prayer on my heart finally. He said, I need you to love her. I need you to lead her. And I need you to let her go, which was tough for me. But my job as the father to my daughter is to love her well. It is to lead her well and to show her this is how a man follows Jesus. But one day, the time will come that I will need to let her go so that she can live the life that God made her to live. If she's supposed to move across the country into an impoverished neighborhood and preach the gospel and like 10 people a night get killed there, I've got to let her go. If she's supposed to move into a foreign country and say, Dad, I know for a fact that I'm going to be dead within a year, but God told me I got to go. I'm, I better have loved her and led her well enough and let her go at that moment, let her go do what God made her to do. If she comes to me and say, Dad, I'd like to build a house across the road from you. I'm going to let her go across the road. That's fine too. But God does this. That's what God offers to us. He prepares us for the things that are going to come in life. Because you've heard me say this before. If you've been here, sometimes life sucks. There's no getting around it. There's no way to avoid it. You could live in a bubble. Life is still going to suck there because eventually you're going to eat the wrong thing. 
and you're going to sneeze and bad things are going to happen. Life is going to be rough at some point in time. Some of you have been through some dark days in your life. Whether you've lost somebody that you love, whether it's been a health issue. You guys, you got, most of you guys who were here a few years ago, you walked through some of the darkest days of my life with me. But God is using those moments to prepare us to become who we are meant to be. First uh, Peter 1, 6 and 7 say this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What this is saying, this where it says, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire. Um, I was reading an article about a goldsmith. You're like, what were you doing reading an article about a goldsmith? I was actually curious about how goldfish were made. Autocorrect gets you to goldsmith. Um, so I got to see how gold was made. And I read the article. Not as fascinating as goldfish, I'm sure. But how gold is made, it starts out with like, it's just this substance. And the goldsmith just like beats it with his hammer. He's and it said it's a very strenuous process. The goldsmith will sweat. I don't know why they threw that in there, but they threw it in the article. I was like, all right. I got that visualization. I'm imagining Brian just beating that piece of gold. And then once it is into a fine powder, they place it into like this little metal pot. And then they heat up this pot. And they allow it to get hot and it starts to melt. And all these impurities float to the top and the goldsmith rakes them off, puts it back in the fire, it heats up again and all these impurities float to the top and he rakes them off. And the guy was asking, he was watching the goldsmith do this and he just like kept doing it, kept doing it over and over again. Like, a, like is he ever gonna finish? And he said, how do you know when to stop? How do you know when the gold is ready? And the goldsmith says, I know it is ready when I can see my reflection in it. And that is the same thing for us because God refines us the same way that a goldsmith does this gold. He allows trials to come into our life because in trials are when we grow. He allows them to shape us and make us more like him. Sometimes trials come into our life is like God beating us like that piece of gold, getting us into a nice fine powder. So he can put us in this little pot and heat us up with a trial and scrape off all the junk and put us back in and we get heated up by a trial and scrape off all the junk because you will know what faith you have when you go through a true trial. When life is miserable and it does not seem like God is answering your prayers, you will find out what kind of faith you genuinely have. Because it is easy to say, God, you're good when everything is good. But it is very difficult to say, God, I trust you when everything is bad. But these trials in our life, like this gold, he uses it, to, uses it and he looks down on us and he can see his reflection in us depending on how we handle these trials. Darkest days of my life, some of you that were not here for that, that was when my mom was sick with cancer. She is no longer with us on this side of eternity. She has made it home. 
which is awesome. Sad at times, but it's awesome. And I remember praying with God through that because he has answered some awesome prayers for me. I've seen people who were not supposed to live, live, and it's not because I'm a great prayer. God just allowed me to be a part of a miracle. He's answered big prayers like that. I've asked him to help me find my keys, found them. God, why are you not coming through when I need you to fix my mom? That one was difficult. Because all the praying that I did, the only thing I got from God is I am with you. But the greatest lesson that I learned in that moment is in the darkest days of your life, God being with us is all that we need. Because he did not let me walk through that alone. He was there with me the whole time wrapping his arms around me saying, it is going to be okay, even though it does not feel like it right now. Romans 8, 28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You're saying, Brandon, even that thing with your mom was for your good. Yes, it was because I could not preach this to you tonight if I had not felt what I felt in those moments. I could not be the dad that I am to my daughter. I could not be the worship pastor and the pastor of students, whatever other, uh, janitor, whatever other title I have at this church. I could not do it as well as I do if I had not walked through that. I could not be the husband that I am. I could not be the friend that I am if I had not went through the darkness and realized that God being with me in that moment was more than enough. And I could not look you guys genuinely in the eyes and tell you when life takes the breath out of your lungs that when God is with you it is all that you need and when it feels like he has left I can promise that he is protecting you and I can promise he is using these trials in your life to prepare you to become who it is that you are meant to be he is using them to make you look more like him so some of you are going through crap right now and I can assure you, if you go to God and you confess to him, God, I know you're protecting me through this. And I know that you can use this to prepare me to become somebody that the person that I am meant to be, you can use this to make me become like you. That God will meet you there and whisper through the chaos, I'm with you. And I want you to know that that is more than enough. So God, offered, he, God protects us as our Father. God prepares us as our Father. And God provides for us. Point three, God provides for us as our Father. You're like, oh, does that mean I'm getting a Lambo? No, it does not. That'd be cool, but that's not what it is. You might get a lazy boy in heaven, depending on if you bring your Bible. But what it does mean is that God is going to provide for us a future. God provides for us a plan for our life. God provides for us a hope. How do we know this? Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That hope is Jesus Christ. That hope is a life that we can live on this side of eternity, doing what it is that God calls us to do, and that when we are finished with our job here, we get to go home and spend eternity with him. But he also provides for us a way home into his presence because let's be honest, we are a room full of sinners. I will take chief of sinners. 
Because when I was your age, remember, you've heard me say, I was not here. I was far from God when he intervened in my life. Not looking to be saved. He just showed up. John 3, 16, very famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is a life that is forever in God's presence. Because God provides love for us, he protects us. Because God provides love for us, he prepares us. Because God provides love for us, he offers us a way home. And that is the beautiful thing about prayer is that we are created beings who are sinful, who are dirty. We are so messed up that God had to send his son to die in our place. There was no amount of money or good works that could cover our wrongdoing. But we can approach God like a father. God is not a genie who we just ask things from and he gives them to us. He is a father who we approach and he loves us. There was an article in a Christian magazine several years ago. And I think the title of it was, It's Okay, Daddy's Got You. Curious, I read it. I was not looking for goldfish at that time. And it was an article about this young couple who had got married and they had dreams of having children. Uh, and they were married and the, the wife noticed that there's just something wasn't right. So she went to the doctor, found out that she had cancer. So she started going through treatments and all the things that happen when cancer invades someone's life. And the doctors told her and her husband, because he knew that they wanted to have kids, it was a big dream that they had. Hey, look, I hate to tell you, but because of this cancer and because of this treatment, having kids naturally, having outside of adoption, that, that's not a reality for you. And I remember reading the article and the they were at the dad's parents' house and the wife was just crying and crying. And the dad confessed to his mother and father, I'll never get to hold my son. Big burly dude starts crying, I'm not going to get to hold my son. Because the doctor said it wasn't going to happen. The husband comes home from work one day several years later. And the wife says, hey, come help me with something in the back got to the back there was a set of baby clothes laid out on the on their dresser and he looked in disbelief because the doctor said that this was an impossible thing and she said oh yes and it's a boy the baby was born um the baby didn't like to sleep so the baby cried a lot the baby also didn't like loud noises the world's a loud place. So the boy, they would cry during loud noises and at night. And the article was entitled, It's Okay, Daddy's Got You, because the whole point of the story is when this baby would cry, this baby that science said would not be born, the dad would finally pick up this son that he supposedly was never going to get to hold. Wrap it in his big burly arms and say, It's okay, Daddy's got you. 
And the baby would stop crying, just nuzzle up in his dad and go to sleep. But God offers the same thing to us. He is not a distant creator who is not interested in us. He loves us in such a way that he protects us, he prepares us, and he provides for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And he allows us to approach him saying, our father, and no matter what's going on in our life, he will wrap his arms around us and say, it's okay, daddy's got you. I've often thought about the kid in the story who is no doubt a man by this time. And I'm like, man, I hope he does not waste his life. Because apparently he was meant to be here for a reason because the doctor said no, but his father, his dearest father who loves him greatly in heaven said, watch this. So for the next couple weeks, we will be talking about prayer. And I don't know what your prayer life is like. But in a moment, we're going to offer you all the opportunity to come and pray at the altar. Well, this is what this is made for. So my, my thing is don't let anybody pray alone. Come put a hand on them, pray with them. You don't know what they're going through. If you can honestly say, hey, I don't think that God's my father because I'm lost and I know that I've never been saved. Come find me. Come find one of these adults. Let's talk through it. Because obviously God is revealed.